Hello folks, Matthew Garnett here with In Layman's Terms. We're back here in 2022, back and better than ever. Hopefully bring you a bit more content this year. We did okay last year, busy year last year. Of course, we've got a number of irons in the fire here, including our old buddy Andy Stanley and why he cannot mention Jesus or the Bible within um, 20 minutes of a sermon is beyond me. Doesn't make sense, but... Um, Anyway, and we have our first technical difficulty here. Oh, get to see a good shot of my tattoo there. If you're watching the live stream. Uh, we've got no lighting here. That's okay. We'll have to do without lighting this time. We can't. There, there we go. Producer Isaac, we've got it done. We've had our first technical difficulty of the 2022 season. We got that out of the way. But uh, anyway, we've got Andy Stanley here. We're going to talk a little bit about him. Uh, we're going to continue our... Uh, talks or discussions about the existence of God and can we have morality, can we have the forgiveness of sins uh, without the the death and resurrection of Christ. We're going to talk, hopefully get to a little bit about that. We're going to get a, really a running start on all that from what we started uh, at the end of last year and, and get into that. Before we do that, let me go ahead and remind you to go to laymanstermsradio.org. Uh, check out the uh, men, what we're calling the Steelers Project. I still got to go on there and, and change all that. We're in the middle of all that. Again, very busy trying to get all that done, but we're going to call it the Steelers Project. We're getting a, a, an exclusive website put up for that, but you still can donate to the GoFundMe there uh, for, for the men and the project, and uh, we're hoping to get that going forward. I've got a logo in the works, and the, uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be uh, wonderful. Hopefully, we get that going. What'll be wonderful is if we can get a man who is who is motivated to get out of that cycle of of life where you're you're in prison you're in poverty you're in prison etc etc and um we want we want to help men get out of that and i believe trucking could be a path for them it's hard work we're not sure we're good but we're going to try it and we're going to die trying so we're, we're here to do it so as long as you want to donate please do go to laymanstermsradio.org and donate to the Steelers project okay so again like i said we've got andy stanley gonna talk a little bit about him then we're going to move on talk about the existence of God, something actually uh, substantive. That's, uh, you, you all have heard, if you've listened to me for any amount of time, you've heard me lament uh, the whole notion of these these modern day preachers just really having no substance. And I think that's one thing our culture really hungers for is some substance. And there's just not much to hang your hat on with these guys anymore. So we'll do a little bit of them this year um, and really move on to some more substantive discussions about God that, that I think are, are going to wet and pique your interests as we go forth. Also, if you're watching the live stream, what I want to do is throw in a special treat for my uh, trucking brethren. Uh, I know I've got a, a lot of truckers that listen to the podcast, and if you're, if you're driving, please uh, do not be watching this. You shouldn't be watching it uh, while you're driving, but do go back and check out our, our trucker act section. We're going to, we're going to step off. We're going to start right with that. And we're going to do a, a review of what we did last time. Cause I didn't really feel like I completely adequately explained what, what was going on there and kind of my thinking behind that, that securement and, you know, the potential pitfalls of it all. It's again, the reason I do the trucker acts is a couple reasons. Yes. For some of you guys out there that are looking for you know, maybe a tip or, or two on how to secure loads and tarp loads and these sorts of things, doing open deck trucking and just trucking in general. We're going to you know, do some driving tips. Hopefully some of you four-wheel drivers out there will listen to our trucker hacks, especially when we talk about driving. You all could definitely use some help <laughs> on that score. Um, 
but uh, but go back, definitely truckers, go back and watch that. Check it out. The other reason I do it is so you vets out there that do know what you're doing can see what I'm doing. You can say, okay, that's no good. That doesn't work because of this, that, and the other thing. Or here's what I do. Here's a better idea than what you're doing here to, to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish so that we can all kind of help each other and kind of get the, the trucker hacks piece back into it because it's uh, just something that's that's interesting. It's I, th- I think we all, when we're out there, you know, we find... Uh, we find things that are that we think are, are helpful, and we'd like to share we'd like to share those with other guys. I, that's my experience with with other truckers. If you found something helpful, you see a guy struggling with a certain portion of, of running these open decks. Any any little tip helps. And if somebody comes up and says, "Hey, you know, I see you doing this. And instead of doing that, do this. It'll help you." Um, I love that, and I love to share uh, you know what I've discovered out there as well. So that's that's what we're going to kind of do. Uh, so we'll start off with that, and then um, if you're if you're not watching this live, you're not going to catch that that part. You're just going to catch the the meat of the podcast. But, uh, you folks listening on KNNA the Cross and uh, Empire Christian and that sort of thing, you're just going to catch the, the the podcast. And if you're listening to it on audio, you'll catch that part. You'll have to go to YouTube if you want to see the trucker hack part of it. And we'll have we'll have the the trucker hack kind of cut out, so you can just watch the you know the five minute video of the trucker hack if you want to see that. Uh, or you can watch the video in its entirety with the trucker hack in it and enjoy. So that's what we're going to do here. And uh, let's, so let's go ahead and get started right away with, with the trucker hack. And uh, we'll talk about it. So let's go ahead, Producer Isaac, with the trucker hack. All right, so there we go. There's our trucker hack for this week. And let's get on back to the podcast and talk about... Andy Stanley, and he's going to talk to us about excuses. I'm interested to see what his excuses are for not mentioning Jesus or the Bible in this sermon for 20 minutes. Let's hit Andy Stanley. Now, um, there are, and you know this, there, there are a lot of things that are worth carrying forward in our lives from one season to the next, one year to the next. Um, good friends, um, good habits, And then there are some things that we should leave behind, things that are not worth carrying from one season to the next, from one year to the next. And for the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about one of those things because one of those things that all of us should get in the habit of leaving behind are excuses, excuses. Excuses are like paper walls. That from a distance, they look like real obstacles Um, From a distance, they look impenetrable. From a distance, they look like we really don't have any choice but to do what we're doing or not to do what we're not doing or to not try or to not try again. Yeah, let's go back to, all right. So here we have Andy Stanley talking about excuses being paper walls or some reason that doesn't, isn't a reason at all. Um, in reality, as to why we can't do something. So my question again to him would be, Pastor Stanley, why is it that you can't start your sermons off with a, a reading? Uh, this is, you know, liturgically, this is how uh, the church has operated for centuries, uh, two millennia really now. They, they have started off with the reading of God's Word. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that, and I and I would call them excuses to use Stanley's vernacular here. Andy Stanley doesn't believe in the power of God's word. He doesn't believe that what St. Paul teaches us in Romans, that 
the word of God is the is is what needs to be preached in order for men to be called to the gospel. You know, so Romans one sixteen paraphrase. Uh, you know, I I believe in the gospel, the power of God for salvation. And what Saint Paul is teaching there is that it's not our fancy tricks, it's not our smoke and light shows, it's not our eloquent and well-informed sermons that that call men to repentance and to the gospel. It is, in fact, God's work that does these things. That is the power of God unto salvation, as St. Paul says it. And, and instead, Stanley and many evangelicals believe that the power lies in all of these other things. And they would say, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to start... I don't want to start my sermon off with a reading or talk about Jesus because that's that's the punchline. That's coming later. Uh, and in public speaking, sometimes that's what you want to do. Sometimes in writing, what you want to do is build people up to a, to a crescendo and then lay the punchline on them. But that's not what that's not where the power lies in calling men to salvation. In fact, it's completely backwards from that. And so. Uh, that is, in fact, a what Andy Stanley would see as an obstacle to the gospel of reading, reading God's word. I mean, it's, it's, it's really ironic, actually, that he would see reading a passage of scripture as an obstacle to what he's trying to accomplish in his church. It's fairly remarkable when you think about it. That would be his excuse. It's not seeker-sensitive. It's not seeker-friendly. Now, I mentioned that um, Andy Stanley doesn't mention Jesus, although I talked about this in the in you know some of the uh, in, in the meme that we had opened with and that sort of thing about how Andy Stanley doesn't mention the gospel or Jesus for 20 minutes of the sermon. This is one of the longest ones I've seen him do in particular, but anybody go um, in a Sunday morning sermon where Jesus or the Bible is not mentioned. It's just, he just goes on this diatribe about making excuses and why most of them are fake and how we should punch right through them. And he does this dramatic thing when he gets to it and punches through that, that paper wall he's got erected up there. That's a, that's a big feature of evangelical preaching, you know, the dramatic um, visual aid that, that they use. I used one one time where I was talking about spiritual gifts and how everybody isn't suited to do everything that the gospel calls us to do, but we're all parts of one body, as St. Paul teaches us in... in um, in Corinthians and other places, and what the illustration that I used, the visual illustration that I used was a was a rubber ball. Rubber ball is good for bouncing, right? It's great. This is wonderful. We can play with it. It's a good time and that sort of thing. Um, but then I, t- I had some water up there, and I'm like, rubber ball is terrible at holding water, so I can drink it, so I can get a drink out of it. And water was going all over. It was great. And then I had a, a glass. I took a glass. I'm like, oh, but the glass is excellent for water, right? And I held it up to everybody. Oh, look, and I can drink out of it. It's wonderful. I said, but uh, the glass is not so good for bouncing. And I smashed the glass all over the stage. It was was wonderful. The kids loved it, right? But did they remember anything about what God's word says? In fact, they probably went out of there. What did you, hey, kids, what did you learn from Pastor Matt's sermon today? Um, Well, we learned that, that balls bounce and glasses don't. That's probably what they, they're going to remember. In fact, uh, producer Isaac over here, when I ask him about our pastor's sermons, uh, sometimes our pastor will tell a joke, believe it or not. I mean, we're pretty uh, stoic and dry and straightforward in our churches. But I'll say, hey, 
Producer Isaac, what'd you learn from, from last week's sermon? Well, he'll remember the joke our pastor told. He won't remember anything about what he said about the sermon, but he'll remember the joke. Isn't that right, Producer Isaac? I will neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> he neither confirms or denies. Okay, which is true. But but that's true. Those those things, um, while they can be helpful to, to, to get people's attention, um, they can also be a, a big distraction. And that's something for us lay people to remember that when we're going into the sermon, a sermon is something different than a, than a public speech. We're not looking for state statesmen up, up there. We're not looking for stand-up comedians. We're not looking for any of these things. We're looking for a pastor to stand in the pulpit and preach to us God's word. And we want him to do that faithfully, and we are a part of that. It is our responsibility to sit and listen intently to the sermon. It is not the pastor's job to entertain us, so we pay attention, or to tell good jokes, to be a stand-up comedian, or any of those other things, uh, to be a good statesman, or or whatever else. That is not his job. Now he's got to be able to put a two sen- He's got to be a decent public speaker. That's true. Because if you're so bad that you can't put two sentences together, uh, then that's distracting as well. So either extreme on this is bad, uh, but at the end of the day, even if you've got a bad preacher, your job is to go and listen intently to that preacher and get from his sermon what God's word has to say to you. All right, that's what's going on Sunday mornings. And Pastor Stanley clearly does not believe that. He believes something entirely different and he believes that the power lies somewhere else. So again, there's not much here to go on. I can you know, the first sermon out of the box for Andy Stanley 2020 is this, and I wouldn't even properly call it a sermon. It's more of a self-help speech. It's I mean, it's and it's not even that it's not even very good self-help. Everybody knows about excuses. Excuses are like behinds. Everybody has, everybody has one and they all stink, right? We all know this. He's not telling us anything we don't know. This is this is common wisdom. We, we hate it when people make excuses, when the excuses aren't real, and they just tend to bog things down and cause all kinds of problems. And, you know, we, we don't need to know that. We don't go to church. We don't get, we don't roll everybody out of bed on a Sunday morning to go hear this. What we do is we go to hear uh, God's word preach and and for us Lutherans to to receive to be refreshed by God's sacrament in the in the communion. That's why we go. That's why we make the effort. We're, we're, there's no other reason for it, and there's no other. Uh, there, there, when you stray from that, you end up missing the point entirely, and that's what Stanley does. And there's not just not much else to say about it. Okay, so let's get on to some more substantive things here. Rather than Andy Stanley's musings on uh, on excuse making, so let's go ahead and go to the, the teaching there, producer Isaac, and we're going to talk about we're going to go get kind of a running start on this, um, and a- again ask the question: Do we need God to have morality? That's the that's the question we're we're trying to answer. And just up front, we're going to say yes, we do. Why is that? Well, we can go a couple of routes with this. We can say if we've got rules, we need a rule maker, right? But then the question comes: Why can't we make our own rules? That would make sense, right? 
Why can't we just make up our own rules when it comes to life? Now, this is kind of what Nietzsche talked about in The Gay Science when he said God is dead. Uh, if you read that in context, many of us think, well, Nietzsche was an atheist, which he was. Uh, but in facing that reality, he came across something rather nihilistic in that realization that, quote, God is dead. That now we have to make up our own rules. Not only make up our own rules, but make up our own purpose for living. And his prediction was, God is dead and we have killed him. Our advancement as humans have made God obsolete and what's going to happen? Well, Nietzsche's prediction was that the, that the streets would run wet, red with blood. I'm paraphrasing here, but, but what Nietzsche says is how, how, will we, how will we wash this blood off of us with God being dead? So it was a, it was a dire prediction, a very nihilistic prediction. And here's why. Um, last time, if you want to go back and listen to it, you can listen, get the overview here, but I'm going to take a running start about this. But we talked about myths of morality. One myth is you have your morals and I have mine. And that's perfectly fine, but when it comes to interacting with others, your morals, my morals don't work because what happens? They come into conflict. What happens when your morals contradict my morals? So, for instance, you know, we might say something like, well, were we right to do such and this, say, drone this village. We might say, one person might say, well, no, that was completely immoral. We had no reason to, to fly a drone over there and, and kill all those people. And then somebody else might come along and say, well, we're the United States. We can do anything we want. See, that's a, that's a problem, isn't it? Because our morals say, well, we're the United States. We can do anything we want. And you just have to take it. If we're more, if we're more powerful than you, so... What do we have? Again, our friend Nietzsche. Power. More specifically, the will to power is what he called it. So whoever whoever's so might makes right is essentially what that is. So it doesn't really matter what you think, you know, if I if I if producer Isaac there has a village and I don't really like and I want that. I want that village, I want that land that village is on, and I send in my drones to take him out, and all he's got is bow and arrow to defend himself. And producer Isaac, how, how would you feel about that if I was going to come in and bomb your village and take it from you, and all you had was a... not too great. Yeah, he wouldn't feel good about that. He would say, hey, wait a second, that's not right, that's not fair that you're coming in here with your high-tech weaponry and just blasting me off this piece of land so you could have it. So there's something that has to usurp this will to power. So your morals and my morals don't, just in reality, don't work. All right. Um, how about morals are nurtured? Let's see if I can 
actually write that a little better. Morals are nurtured. Right, so we got to have this whole nature versus nurture idea. From nature, we get this idea of, oops, natural law, nurture, goes another direction. We want to talk about both a little bit here. So, the problem with morals being completely nurtured. Now, that's not to say that we don't teach our children morals. That's not to say that our cultures don't teach a, a, a sense of morality. It's not to say that, that we don't learn these things. But, we're, but really, what we're asking is, what's the source of the morals? Because if morals are completely nurtured, then we have the same problem with that we have with the your morals, my morals argument. Because, well, I was raised this way. I was raised to believe that this was right and that's wrong. I was raised to believe that, you know, bombing producer Isaac's village and taking his stuff was completely fine. And producer Isaac goes, well, I was raised that that's wrong. So how do you see, again, we run into that, that same problem on top of the fact that even if we have a sense of shared morality in, in some way, we run in to these three issues. Authority, time, and scope. Who has the authority to set down the morality? And then on, on top of that, how do we discover morality? So if we put forth the notion that jumping off of tall buildings are immoral because it'll kill you. How do we know that for sure? How do we know that if you jump off of a tall building or a high place that you'll die? We send producer Isaac up there and say, hey, producer Isaac, go up, jump off this high place and see if you die or get hurt. No. He's probably not going to want to do it, first of all. That's, that's, that's Isaac's sense of morality kicking in right there. There's natural law in action already. Thank you, producer Isaac, very much for that. Um, but if he does it, he's going to fall and get severely injured or, or die. We'll go, oh, okay, well, that's bad. Would have been better had we known that beforehand, right? Now, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> because, you know, we, we know innately that, that that is wrong. But we also know, we also have a sense of morality that is innate. It's called our conscience. And it tells us beforehand that what we're about to do is wrong. So, for instance, you know, I might see a beautiful girl you know, at a, at a bar or somewhere out when I'm trucking and want to, you know, cozy up to this girl and get romantic with her. But I, but my innate sense of morality tells me I'm not married to this woman and it is wrong for me to participate in this. Now we may not exactly see how, but that, see, that's the problem. We, we, and this is, this is a huge problem. These six commandment issues, these adultery fornication issues are a huge problem in our culture because we don't understand fully the natural consequences of our actions. We don't see how it affects everyone. So, so the idea of the time and then this, then the scope of things. So again, the whole, going back to the sixth commandment issue, the idea of adultery, seventh commandment for you Protestants, um, we look at 
the world in very, you know, maybe very basic ways. I mean, that's in, in a lot of ways, that's how our, our, um, our civil laws are constructed. Just very, don't, don't physically kill somebody. Now I can think about killing somebody and I, I won't be arrested for that. However, Jesus teaches us on the Sermon on the Mount that thinking about or hating my brother in my heart is just as much murder as actually murdering them. So the point there is, and we can, we can go into all kinds of detail about why, why that harms people and, and that sort of thing. It's, it seems fairly self-evident, uh, but at the same time, maybe it's not. Maybe it wasn't to the Pharisees, it didn't seem, that they were, they were you know, um, in an outward way obeying God's law, but when it came down to it, they weren't obeying God's law from the heart. And that's what Jesus is, is after. That's what the law, God's law is after, is obedience from the heart. For, and there's a number of reasons for that, but it wouldn't be self-evident to us always why it is we have to obey from the heart. So the point is, is that there's a larger scope that only Holy Scripture gives us when it comes to morality. All right. So now, now we get to this notion of natural law. And where do we get this idea from Scripture? Speaking of Scripture, maybe I've gone on 20 minutes without mentioning the Scripture. But we look at Romans 9, or I'm sorry, Romans 1, 19 through 20, which says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So again, we think of something like the conscience. As being a part of that. So when you do, when you know when you do something wrong. Let's face it, unless you, unless you have what we is commonly known as psychopathy, you're a psychopath. You know, Isaac, you know, producer Isaac here can do some psychopathic things sometimes, but he's not a psychopath. He knows when he's done wrong. I remember the first time that he got sent home from school one day for being late. Oh, it's bad. He's in tears and everything else. He knew he had done something wrong. Why? Because his conscience told him that, right? Another thing is pain. Physical pain. Um, so again, producer Isaac perfectly illustrated natural law to us. We want to send him up to the high place to jump off, see if he dies. Producer Isaac goes, "No, I'm not doing that. That's crazy, right?" He knows innately before he even tries that that it's going to be painful. And even even little children know <coughs> are afraid of animals in particular um, are afraid of pain. They know what's going to cause them pain. They want to avoid that, right? So for yourself, for those you love, and the, the idea is, you know, why, why does our morality only extend to those we love? Uh, why do we want uh, those near to us to be spared pain, but we don't want others to be spared pain? That doesn't seem logical, does it? I mean, shouldn't every, doesn't somebody, isn't somebody loved by somebody else? Now, pretty much everybody in the world, that's, that's the case. Somebody cares cares about those people. I mean, and it's particularly pathetic, right? It's particularly lamentable when there is somebody who nobody cares for. Yeah, that's that makes us feel very sad inside, right? So so we have these these internal emotions and that's us, that's really a, a great way to to get to this idea of of natural law. Now our emotions can deceive us to be sure. Um, we can we can perceive an injustice that may not be an injustice sometimes. Uh, and it can cause us to feel that emotional, that um, that 
that morality come out of us. So, so again, you, you know, you'll see a lot of people who will, uh, they see an, an unarmed black man killed by a police officer. Well, people will get enraged about this and say, that's not just. However, when you look at the, at the, at the facts, you find out that there's some other things going on that, that, that caused the police officer to have to use deadly force to defend himself. You'll find, find those sorts of things out. Or you might find out that the, that the police officer is not justified at all in the killing, and then your sense of injustice was, was correct from the beginning. It's, these things are good to negotiate but or investigate. But we do see uh, these couple of things you know, outlined in the, in the Scripture. Oops. What we call the golden rule, right? This, everybody knows this. It comes right from the mouth of Jesus. Do unto others as you'd have done unto you. Um, then we have uh, really the universality of certain principles. I get this a lot, a lot of this from Lewis, or the the universality of. That's uh, yeah, right. Rules like murder. Adultery. We see rules about this in pretty much, well, not in pretty much, in every society, uh, in in all human existence, everywhere for all time. There, there, there are no cultures that exist that do not have rules about adultery and murder. They all do. Um, theft is another one. Everyone has rules about theft. Everyone has rules about authority, who the authorities are, who is to be obeyed, who is, who is setting the, the details of the rules. All right. Now, people will make excuses about this, speaking of excuses from Pastor Stanley. But the rules are still there. Men, no, no man wants some other man to come and take his wife. Doesn't matter if you have one wife or five, there's rules, there's, there's, there's laws sometimes and definitely cultural norms about, you know, if I have five wives, which is, you know, we know that's immoral from Holy Scripture, that's the scope piece of it, uh, that, that marriage, that marriage relationships are meant to be between a man and a woman, uh, one man, one woman for life, we know that from Holy Scripture, uh, we know those details from Holy Scripture, but if I don't know those details and I take five wives and producer Isaac comes along and tries to take one of them, I'm going to be very angry with producer Isaac, right? And if we only have one, we're t- going to be particularly angry with that. We don't. Uh, there are rules in every culture and every society about about murder, but you know those people. We say we, we don't want people murdered, but those that group of creatures over there aren't really people. We might say. That's what we said about slaves, right? They're the only, they're only partially human. They're not fully human, right? We make excuses about that, but we still have rules about that stuff. Same thing with people taking their stuff. You know, the the authorities, you know, the the government of the United States may come in and, co- and confiscate your money for taxes unfairly, but we couldn't set up a racket where we were taking people's money unfairly. That would, that wouldn't work. We would be arrested for that. All right. There, so, so. The, we see this, this, we see our, our own conscience, the pain we feel in our bodies, and these, these universal moral norms coming into play in all times, everywhere, and with all people. 
So we know something's going on there. But is that the foundation? Is that the, again, the question is, what is the source? What is the source of morality? Is natural law the bedrock, the foundation of morality? And we, what we hope is no, because what, what you end up with is what philosophers, moral philosophers called, call um, the correspondence theory. correspondence theory of morality so in other words that back to that idea of having producer Isaac go up and jump off the high place see if he dies we've got those three issues authority time and scope so, for instance, say, for instance, we do learn that it is, in fact, harmful to one's body uh, for people to jump off of high places. And the authorities get together and say, it is now forbidden for anyone to jump off of high places or to be made to jump off of high places uh, unless they've committed murder or something. We've come up with some rule. Well, then some person, like producer Isaac, who goes crazy, comes along and says, oh, who are you to tell me that that's wrong? We have that, so it's a, again, it's a silly example, but we have that especially all over the place with, with sexual morality in our culture. And, you know, who are we to say that two men being together is wrong? We don't, we don't carry the moral authority to say that without some backing. And then we find this really even in our society when it comes to our constitution, right? We, uh, we find these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their creator. Yeah? Um, that's why that's in there. Because the founders are calling on the moral authority of, of a higher power that cannot be questioned. What they're saying in our founding documents that is brilliant and biblical, in fact, is that they're not just saying this, God is saying it. And that's important. Because if God is saying it, then his authority cannot be questioned. It is somebody outside of human existence that sets down the rules and has the authority to, to promulgate the rules. That's one reason why we need, if we have rules, we need an ultimate rule maker. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Otherwise, it's just you know producer Isaac trying to impose his, his values on me. That's all it can be boiled down to. Or why should I obey natural law? Yeah, I can make up my own rules. Um, again, we have the, so we have the problem of authority. Who gets to say, then we have the problem of time trying to figure these things out. Again, my favorite example, if you've listened to me in the past, talk about, uh, Heather Heig and Brett Weinstein, these two evolutionary biologists, they came, they just came out with this book. I believe it's called the, uh, the hunter gatherers guide to life or something of that nature. I, I need to read it, it, should, it, but I've heard them say all this before. But in that book, what they say is that the most fulfilling sexual experience a human being can have is in the context of a heterosexual, monogamous relationship, uh, we call that marriage, uh, monogamous marriage, that produces children. Now, we've been in existence I, so for a long time. Hum, humans have been around for a very long time, let's just say, without getting into other 
issues like evolution or how old the universe is or anything else. Let's say human beings have been around for a long time and it's taken this long for two scientists to come along and using the correspondence theory of morality to say, hey, we have figured out through scientific methods and observance that this is the best thing for human flourishing and human beings to, to, to engage in, in sexual relations. Too long. Too late. The damage is done. I'm glad they're saying it, but it's too late. It's too late for people who have, uh, who have chosen other paths thinking that that's just as good as anything else. All right? So the time piece is, is an issue. And then, of course, the scope, the details of it. Again, like we say, one man, one woman marriage, as we see uh, taught in Holy Scripture. Uh, you know, that's why there's, uh, you know, there's cultures that have four and five different wives because they don't have that detail outlining morality uh, to call upon. All right. So what we want to say about that is the is that natural law can't get us there, can't get us the whole way, especially, uh, you know, the, the authority piece is the biggest one. So from there, we can get to deism pretty easily. So with natural law, uh, we can get to deism. There's a God who created things in a certain way, and that's about as far as we're willing to go. All right, so let's see. Uh, but that can't get us all the way because while that gives us the authority, like say like in the Constitution, our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, whatever the case may be, the time and the scope is difficult. Because if we're going to discover all the morality through nature, as St. Paul talks about in Romans, that's going to take time. And if we can spare ourselves some pain without taking the time to learn a certain piece of morality, it was just, it was just revealed to us, let's say, from a book where God had his word written down, wouldn't that be great? That'd be wonderful. And in fact, we do. We, we hope for that. We do have it. Uh, and, then we, and then the scope as well. Is going to come from Holy Scripture as well, All right? So let's let's uh, let's kind of keep going with this. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about why we need Scripture. We decried Pastor Stanley for not talking about Scripture at all. Why do we need it? Why is it why is it important? In other words, God's we call, this is what the technical term for it. God's revealed, uh, let me be more specific with that. Call this, actually, let's just use the technical term. God's special revelation. All right. That's what, that's what the Bible is to us. Specific, the special revelation that God gives to, gives to us in Holy Scripture is where it's at. We're going to be missing a whole bunch of things if we don't have specific instructions from God. It would be like me trying to 
get producer Isaac to mow the grass without telling him to mow the grass. I mean, I might take him out and show him that all kinds of insects and bugs can get in the grass and that it's terrible and that the neighbors might yell at him because they don't like the tall grass and so on and so forth. But it's just much easier if I say, hey, Isaac, time to mow the grass. And he goes, okay. He goes out, starts the lawnmower and cuts the grass. Way easier. <laughs> so that's what we want from God too, right? God, give us the specifics here. I mean, that's, that's really what we want in our relationships, right? I was talking with my daughter the other day, Amelia. And we're talking about, you know, our relating. And I, and I say, you know, hey, if, if you're uh, not getting something from me that you want, it helps if you're very specific and to the point about what it is you want from me. I'm not a mind reader. I'm, I'm a guy. I'm not, I don't get subtly. I don't get hints very well. So if you just, hey, dad, specifically, I, want, I would like it. I would feel more loved by you if you did this. That would be helpful. Same thing for, with my wife, our wives. See, we, we need special, specific revelation uh, from those who want, uh, want something from us or, or desire something from us. And, and again, it's not, it's not what God wants or needs from us so much as it is um, this idea of, of how God has designed us to live. Right? He is revealing us to how he's revealing to us how he has created the universe. All right. And one thing we can never get from natural law is the gospel. The forgiveness of sins. We do not get from nature the forgiveness of sins. We don't get grace there. See, it's interesting, isn't it? So um if if Producer Isaac, if you go up to that high place and you jump and you happen to survive and not get injured at all, what do we usually call that? What happened? You got lucky. Got lucky. Yes. Very good. Producer Isaac got lucky when he jumped off of that high place and didn't die or get severely injured. But is it so much? See, we wonder sometimes. See, see, there's a lot of things that are weird that happen. You should be dead. What happened? Well, I got lucky, I guess. Maybe. Or maybe God's grace was intervened in that situation so you wouldn't face the natural consequences of what you did. Right? And we pray for that too. And God be praised that he spares us the natural consequences of all our sins. If we had to face the natural consequences of all of our sins all the time, it would be miserable. <laughs> because we sin much, don't we? Yeah. We need the, we need the forgiveness of sins. And we pray sometimes. I, I, we all do. I do. You do. I hope you do. You pray and ask the Lord to spare you from the natural consequences of your sin sometimes. God, I've learned my lesson. I, I don't need to be punished. In this. But sometimes God in his wisdom decides, no, son, I'm not going to spare you from these natural consequences this time. And it's not always good that we spare people from the natural consequences. But, um, but that is what we're going to attribute that to. I think what we have to attribute that to is not getting lucky, but it is, in fact, God graciously intervening in our lives. And, and, his gra- and what, that's what uh, my Calvinist friends call... God's uh, general grace, uh, in a sense, I think that's the term they use. That you know, so in other words, if God, if God wasn't gracious to the entire world, believers and unbelievers alike, wasn't wasn't gracious to us with the natural consequences of sin, the world would be hell. We would all sin all the time, and that's all we would do. There would be it would be complete chaos. So God's God's natural grace or His general grace to us. Uh, gives us that gospel, but it is based on the death and resurrection of Christ. And that's what I want to walk us through. And and just, and just the next few minutes, we'll pick it up again next week, but let's explore the concept of forgiveness. 
a little bit, and I think I can show you what I'm talking about here. Okay. So, and let's say on a personal level. Personal forgiveness. So, producer Isaac steals my phone and takes it down to the the pawn shop. Sells it. I can never get my phone back again. What do you think would happen to you there, producer Isaac, if you did that? He wouldn't be very happy. He wouldn't be very happy. I would probably temporarily punish him, right? Uh, but I would eventually forgive him. He is my son, after all. And he would, you know, he wouldn't want me to be mad at him forever for for stealing my phone and hawking it at the at the local pawn shop. So I forgive him. But what is that based on? What's the source? Again, that's our big question today. What is the source of that forgiveness? Can I just, what some people call up and forgive? Can I just up and forgive Isaac for doing that? Well, in a sense, I can because, okay, so he's injured me personally and instead of of doing something like okay you've got to go work and make you know enough you know the several hundred dollars that my phone costs to pay me back and instead of doing that i say no you don't have to do that i'll just forgive you and let's just not have that happen again i can do that right i can i can forgo the natural consequences right i can do that personally for myself i can take the punishment in other words i've i've lost my phone that costs several hundred dollars and I'm, I'm going to bear the, the punishment for that. So the point being, so somebody has to take it. Someone must be punished. If I choose to up and forgive producer Isaac for stealing and hawking my phone, I'm taking the punishment. If I choose to make him go out and cut lawns until he makes enough money to buy me a new phone, he's taking the punishment. See, somebody has to be punished for a crime. Now, let's talk about the unjust judge here, and I'll make it. I'll give you an illustration of how complicated this gets. If um, Isaac gets married, has children, somebody comes and kidnaps and murders one of his children, and he comes before me as the judge, and we've got we've got the perpetrator, we've got we know for a fact that it's him. We caught him on videotape. We got all the evidence to prove that he's the one that kidnapped. And murdered one of producer Isaac's children. And I'm the judge producer Isaac. And I say, well, I'm just going to forgive this guy. And dismiss the case. How would you feel about that, producer Isaac? I would not feel happy. Would not feel happy. In fact, you might. would you call me a, a good and loving judge if I did that? No. No, you would not. You would, in fact, say I'm an evil judge. for doing that. Somebody has to pay the price for a crime committed. So we can't just up and forgive. That's that's impossible. 
somebody's got to pay the price. And our little analogy of Isaac stealing my phone, somebody's going to pay the price for that. Somebody's going to pay the price for that crime. Either it's going to either be me, literally and figuratively. It's either going to yep. It's either going to be me, or it's going to be Isaac. Somebody has to pay the price. Now let's say I decide to pay the price, and I and I just go out and buy a new phone. Well, who else? Who else does that affect? Well, it affects affects my wife. Might affect other children. My other children, too, right? If I was going to buy Jen a nice uh, dinner that week, and my phone gets stolen and hawked, and I have to go raise the money to buy a new phone, now I can't take Jen to dinner. You see how? The point being, that might sound trite. But what, what I'm saying is that producer Isaac's sin didn't just affect me. And rarely do, do our sins just affect us. They affect a number of people. In fact, everyone around us, that's why sin is so dangerous. Because it just doesn't simply affect us. It is has an effect on everyone around us. See, And so for me to say, okay, well, you know, producer Isaac, I know that you had a moment of craziness there and you did that and I'm not going to hold you accountable for that doesn't just affect me it affects Jen maybe Amelia whoever else that might depend on me as a source of income so do I have do I have the authority to really forgive Isaac without consequence maybe be difficult I'd have to find out who all the sin affected and then I would have to, in fact, myself uh, be a perfect judge of who all my sin, or Isaac's sin, affected in order for me to forgive him properly. Because I would have to make that, I would ha- every one of us would have to forgive him for the, you know, to spare him the consequences or the punishment for his sin. We would all have to agree. We're just going to up and forgive Isaac for, for doing this sin. Right? Now, that might be easy in, in an immediate family situation like that, or it might be possible, but we still don't always see who all's affected. Who else might be affected? My mom and dad. Jen's mom and dad might be affected by that in some way. Who knows? Who knows how far our sin can reach? So we can forgive others like that on our own, on our if they simply sinned against us and us alone. But we did. They didn't. They've sinned against many people just by a simple act of theft. And you can and you can do that with any one of the the natural law pieces: the theft, the adultery, the murder, all of those those pieces of morality that we see in all times and all places with all human beings. Any one of those things is going to have a ripple effect on a number of people. So no one person has the authority. Here we go again with that authority piece. To forgive sin. And we also know we also are going to explore how God is is perfect in judgment. He is the perfect judge. And so therefore, um, that's that's where we need to look. For the forgiveness of sins. Now, a um, couple of things on natural consequences here, and we'll begin to wrap up. 
Um, let me just put it this way. There's t temporal forgiveness and eternal. I'm going to make this differentiation. Temporal and eternal forgiveness. So if if uh, if I withhold the consequences, the temporal consequences of Isaac's sin from him, that's I'm, I'm withholding that. Even but even if I don't, even if I say, okay, Isaac, you've got to pay us back for this phone. Even if I even if I withhold the temporal forgiveness, he is eternally forgiven. In other words, you're still my son. I still love you. Uh, I'm not going to cast you out on the street into the outer darkness where it's weeping and gnashing your teeth. Yay! Yeah, but I but I am going to hold you temporally accountable. And God does this with this all does us with this all the time. If you look at Hebrews, God disciplines those He loves. Yeah. So God may not withhold the temporal may not may withhold temporal forgiveness from him, but he will not withhold his eternal forgiveness from us. All right? That's that's one piece I wanted to to get in there. All right. But what we're going to find out is that we need that perfect judge. Let's get back to that idea. For the forgiveness of sins. We need omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. The big three O's there. We need that kind of judge in order for the forgiveness of sins to, to happen. All right? See how what we're starting to sneak up on here? So in other words, the only, per, the only foundation in reality for us to forgive sin, because the, the punishment is going to get meted out wherever. For temp temporally, but when we start talking about eternal punishment for sin, the only one that can forgive that and or take the punishment for eternal sin is God himself, right? And that's really where we're going to go with the rest of this. We're going to start talking about, um, you know, really the, the proof of God from the gospel and why even in personal forgiveness, that personal forgiveness is based on the gospel, uh, if, if you know there there are things that um, that can be temporarily punished that we can, that we can you know we as human beings can forgo the the temporal punishment and say you're forgiven uh, and let Jesus be the one that takes the the, the, the the both the temporal and eternal punishment for certain sins so the whole idea of just just forgiving based on nothing does, doesn't work. Again, we're going to we're going to go through this. We're going to get into some heavy cosmology, but this is our beginning of what I'm going to call the 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 gospel uh, the gospel proof of God's existence, something of that nature. I haven't come up with a cute title, but but the proof of God from the gospel. That in fact, in order to live our lives in 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 any kind of peace or or uh, harmony, we have to have the forgiveness of sins. The you know, natural law does not give us this. You jump off a building, you're going to die. That's that's the norm. You do this sin, you're going to face the natural consequences. That's the norm. Where do we get the forgiveness of sins? Where does grace come from? What is it founded upon? It's got to be founded upon something uh, that makes that ultimately makes sense. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't work, right? Otherwise, we have because again, you know, one of us may look at a judge who who lets criminals go with you know very little bail and say oh that's you know what a, what a kind and, and gracious law that is 
But then that criminal goes out, jumps in an SUV, and mows down a bunch of people because he's out on bail. That judge or that lawyer, whoever allowed that criminal back out on the street, and some of you know what I'm referring to, we don't, we wouldn't look at that 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 judge or, or that attorney or that prosecutor as being gracious or good. And so, how can we forgive sins and still be just? This is what Saint Paul so brilliantly lays out in the book of Romans. God is the ju- is the judge and the justifier of sin. Okay, so. Uh, that's where we're going with that. We'll pick it up again next week. Welcome to the 2022 season of In Layman's Terms. Go to laymanstermsradio.org, donate to our Steelers project, and we'll see you next week.